You know, I've been around a long time. I know how hard this is. From the political science department at UW-Madison. Am I exasperated? Absolutely, I'm exasperated. I'm Adam Wigger. This country's gone through tough times before, and we're going to do it again. And I'm Sam Beisman. This is more work than in my previous life. I thought it would be easier. And this is 1050 Basketball. Today on 1050 Baskin, we are thrilled to have Professor Dennis Driesang, Professor Emeritus in the Department of Political Science and the LaFault School of Public Affairs on the podcast. Professor Driesang has a long and distinguished career, has directed research and public service seminars at LaFault School for students interested in examining community health issues and youth violence. He has chaired two major gubernatorial task forces and served on numerous tribal and local government commissions. For his research and public service on Paiute, he received Distinguished Service Awards from the Women's Political Caucus and the Wisconsin Equal Rights Council. Today, we wanted to talk to Professor Dreesing about his life studying, writing, and teaching about politics. There's so much to talk about, so let's dive right in. So, first things first, thank you so much for joining us today, Professor. No, my pleasure. Before we get into any of the topics that I want to hit today, can you first tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, I uh, was raised in the Fox Valley uh, in Wisconsin, specifically Kimberly, and uh, came to uh, UW-Madison for my undergraduate work. Uh, And it was a time when uh, communism was a big uh, fear and there were a lot of people in the village of Kimberly who thought that I was automatically going to become a communist because I was going to UW-Madison. Um, didn't seem like all that bad an idea, actually, but um, I didn't. Uh, and so I got my undergraduate work here and then went out to UCLA for my PhD and uh, got my PhD there, specialized in African studies and African politics, and uh, then went to uh, Zambia, uh, which had just gotten its independence um, it had been Northern Rhodesia and uh, spent uh, almost two years there doing dissertation research. And um, on the way back to the United States, uh, just before I left Africa, um, I got an invitation to interview for a job at Dartmouth College uh, in New Hampshire. And uh, I thought, well, that's good college. Uh, it's, that's not a bad way to start. Uh, there were a couple of other invitations that I had, and uh, you couldn't orchestrate it any better. But I, uh, while I was in the middle of an interview at Dartmouth, I got a call from uh, UW-Madison, uh, from Crawford Young, who actually just passed away a few months ago. Crawford was the incoming chair of the political science department, and uh, he asked if I would like to come to Madison to interview. You know, you, you can't have it any better. You're in the middle of an interview and then somebody else calls and says, would you come interview here? <laughs> and in my mind, uh, UW-Madison was the perfect place professionally and personally. From Wisconsin, I love Wisconsin. Uh, you can't, I mean, it's the, the university, as we all know, is top notch. So uh, from a professional standpoint, a lot of people kind of work their way up to get here and for me to be uh, invited uh, for a job interview. And obviously um, that went well and I got offered the job and it was a no brainer. 
Absolutely. And the rest is obviously history. Um, right. You have had such a storied and really amazing career here in Wisconsin. You know, I you've worked on multiple governors, task forces, worked with governance boards. Obviously, you love Wisconsin and have loved working here since, like you just said, you uh, interviewed. But has has there ever been a chance to leave um, or have you ever considered, you know, leaving Wisconsin and UW? Um, I kind of did, mainly because it uh, seemed like that was sort of the thing to do, that uh, you ought to consider at least moving to some other place. And uh, after I had been here for about uh, 15 years, I got a number of uh, invitations from uh, universities in Texas and Washington, D.C. area. And I actually went out because I thought, well, I owed it to myself uh, to... Uh, take a look and give them a try. But it was clear I was not leaving Madison. Kind of all it did was reinforce uh, my view that uh, the best place in the world was University of Wisconsin-Madison. Absolutely. Well, I'm definitely inclined to agree. Now I'd kind of love to move into some more questions about your teaching and you know your research experience. And as someone who has been an obviously successful and revered professor here for several decades, we wanted to get your take on how like teaching and talking about politics and policy in the classroom has changed over time and over your career here at UW. Um, and I, I bring it up because in, in 2018, um, two scholars named Jonathan Haidt and George Lukanoff published the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, where they talk a lot about how like the culture on college campuses uh, has become more ideologically uniform. And I want to know like, if that's something you agree with, um, you know, especially in the context of your teaching career. Well, um, I think it has always been, uh, especially uh, at UW-Madison, uh, we've always been very passionate and very involved in uh, issues of public policy and politics that are controversial. Um, when I began teaching. Uh, I came here in 1969. Um, it was civil rights movement, uh, Vietnam, uh, very passionate against the war. Uh, um, African countries were getting their independence, like Zambia, where I had done my uh, dissertation research. Um, and uh, it was a, a highly charged then. Um, Later on, uh, women's issues came into the fore. Uh, I was involved, as you mentioned, I was on uh, some task forces, uh, gubernatorial task forces, and a couple of them that I actually chaired had to do with uh, gender issues, gender equity, uh, specifically dealing with, with pay. And uh, that was something where uh, it wasn't so much that uh, the students uh, had a problem. If they did, um, they were not vocal or certainly uh, inappropriate about uh, their concerns that uh, I and some others were involved in that kind of an issue. But legislators certainly were. State legislators were very vocal, uh, very uh, rude, uh, calling me in names in, in uh, the newspapers and the public, press conferences and the like. 
um, Phyllis Schlafly, I don't know if you're familiar with that name or not, but she was the head of the Eagle Forum, one of the main um, organizations that felt that women really ought to retain a traditional role. Uh, she uh, had a big national effort against what we were doing and came to Madison. And uh, actually at one point uh, she had uh, some people tailing me uh, trying to get personal information that uh, might be incriminating. So, you know, you think about those kinds of things and it's sort of like, well, you know, has this ever been a peaceful place where we've just been dealing with milk toast and uh, um, not really dealing with anything um, controversial or I would say consequential, because um, I think that uh, in a way that that goes hand in hand. So I, I don't think that it's anything new. Um, Perhaps what's new is uh, social media, um, where people can do more things without doing them face to face. Uh, I think when people uh, are in a discussion, even if it's a confrontational discussion, and it's face to face, they tend to be more civil. Uh, uh, and if it's not face to face, it's more impersonal. I think people can kind of get a little bit carried away. Uh, with themselves and their anger or their concerns and their, their anxiety. So that's a kind of a new element. But in terms of controversy and, like I say, consequential issues, uh, that's always been there. And I hope it always will be. It makes me think of that situation on campus, you know, in 2018, I think it was, with Professor Ken Mayer and a student who had, you know, a problem with... Um, something on his syllabus in the, in his presidency class. Um, and, you know, that student fed that information to a couple different news organizations and networks. Is that something that, that kind of, um, that kind of situation with students becoming, you know, the agitator in, in that situation, is that something that um, you've seen before in your time on campus, you know, especially in really political heightened uh, situations mm -hmm. like the last couple of years? Um, I have seen it before. Um, it's unusual. And I think that the 2018 uh, situation is unusual, but it's, it's not unheard of. Uh, it's uh, an opportunity that some people kind of perceive where they can go to a national columnist or commentator and uh, rev up uh, the whole visibility. Um, as I kind of alluded to that uh, pay equity um, task force that I chaired and got involved in that, um, that certainly was, became a national, a national issue. Wisconsin uh, led the way it actually it was Wisconsin and the state of Washington. But uh, um, yeah, it's, it's unusual for students to kind of go that route. And particularly like in the 2018 incident of um, just using one piece of evidence, which could be taken out of context, I would argue was taken out of context, and make that into a big deal. Uh, I mean, that's not only rude, but it's a bit of bit immature. But people act, I, I know some people who are 70 years old who act immature. So it happens. In your role as, you know, one of the founding directors of the La Follette School, and then also in your role as chair of the political science department twice, how have you advised faculty and instructors in the past on how to deal with 
environments like this? Well, I basically, uh, um, actually, I should point out that uh, not that many faculty get involved in a situation like this. Um, a, a lot of us teach subjects that uh, inherently are uh, very uh, intellectually stimulating. They uh, contribute to the growth of individuals in our society, but they tend not to get politicized uh, the way some things in some issues do. Um, but there are even like uh, issues of sexual harassment. That's an example of one where an individual faculty member could say something uh, uh, in an insensitive way, perhaps. Uh, maybe it was inadvertent, but it's insensitive. And so they would have to be consult um, about how to handle a, a controversy. And typically what I would, what I always said was don't, don't uh, um, become uncivil. Um, as soon as you uh, become uncivil, uh, just the style alone is going to be held against you. That it's best to be calm, uh, that if you made a mistake, say you made a mistake, if you didn't make a mistake, don't say you made a mistake just to uh, make the controversy go away. Um, but uh, be truthful, be scholarly. And that's really how virtually every faculty member, I can think of maybe, uh, you know, maybe two exceptions to that um, in both political science as well as La Follette. Uh, and uh, even those, it was sort of just a flare up and it was gone. People just kind of calm down, act civilly. And, uh, and I think it's important again, to get back to the, what I said before about face-to-face, -face. deal with a lot of these issues on a face-to-face -face basis. Uh, when you deal with them impersonally, deal with them just through the press or through a third party, I think that tends to uh, make tempers flare more than they really need to. Absolutely. And that is advice that I'm sure everyone can take to heart. Um, I'd love to talk now about the book that you recently released on former governor of Wisconsin, Patrick J. Lucy, the book being called Patrick J. Lucy, A Lasting Legacy. And I know you recently talked about uh, this book with also former governor of Wisconsin, Jim Doyle, and then Scott McCallum. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this uh, new book that you have published? Um, sure, be happy to. Um, yeah, I also talked with uh, Governor Tommy Thompson about this and interviewed him as part of the research for the book. Uh, it's uh, uh, It was an unusual opportunity. Um, I've not done a biography before. My scholarship has all been in other areas, uh, data analysis and things like that, but not a biography. So this was a new experience for me and I really enjoyed it. It was challenging but I really enjoyed it. Um, I actually uh, uh, came into the project after two other people had started it and at least wanted to do it. Um, Neil Shively, who was a reporter with the Milwaukee Journal uh, Sentinel, actually was Milwaukee Sentinel at the time, and David Adamani, who a former professor in the political science department at uh, UW-Madison. And, and they had each had relations with uh, Governor Lucy and wanted to write one. It was kind of surprising that nobody had written a biography of him because he played such a real, real key role in Wisconsin history. 
He was the first governor to serve a four-year term. Before that, we just had two-year terms. And he made good use of it and was one of the most, if not, I would argue, the most productive governor uh, in Wisconsin history in terms of major uh, legislation. Uh, Neil Shively, unfortunately, uh, died of cancer before he could really um, get going very much. He could collected some material. Uh, when he died, he gave the material that he had collected for the biography to David Adamani. And uh, actually, David Adamani then died. And so a group of people got together, including uh, Professor Cannon, uh, and uh, they uh, tried to come up with somebody that might complete the project, uh, which really had only barely begun. And uh, so despite the fact that I was number three and there was a possibility of three strikes in your out, given the fact that the other two had died, I thought, well, I've lived a good life. What the heck? Let's give it a try. I'm not superstitious. And so I said yes, and uh, then got involved. And uh, the research involved uh, lots of interviews. That was kind of fun. About 50 people that I interviewed, uh, including former governors and legislators and staff people and the like. Um, lots of research at the historical society's archives uh, um, right down by State Street, and then um, got into writing it. And uh, it was, like I say, it was a different kind of research, uh, much more telling a story in a, uh, uh, a more colloquial kind of way than the scholarly research and scholarly writing that I've done. Um, but it was very satisfying and uh, uh, just a kind of snippet of uh, a little bit more about Pat Lucy. He got involved in politics. He had a choice to make uh, in his life. Uh, he had the opportunity to join with his father in a family business that was very successful in Western Wisconsin. Uh, or uh, he was kind of bit by uh, the bug of politics. He was kind of interested in that. He had always been interested in politics. And uh, this was at a time that Joe McCarthy had uh, begun his work and his demagoguery. And uh, it was really because of Joe McCarthy that Pat Lucy decided he was going into politics. And uh, he, uh, there was some resistance, of course, within the state. Um, there was national support for him and uh, what was uh, the kind of precursor to the current Democratic Party uh, to try and get rid of Joe McCarthy. And so he really uh, put himself really into that, uh, was successful in turning things around in the state, made the state kind of what it is today, a very competitive two-party state. It had been really a one-party state dominated by the Republican Party. Uh, the only contests were uh, Republican primaries at the time, but uh, that's not the case so much anymore. And then uh, really, as I said, he really got into uh, uh, passing legislation and, and making a lot of really critical changes. One change that he made, actually uh, one of his first two major changes uh, was to uh, merge the various campuses of the university to, into what is now the University of Wisconsin system. Very controversial at the time a lot of resistance actually from Madison faculty who were anxious about 
whether or not this would lead to uh, everybody going down to the lowest common denominator. Um, one could argue that was a kind of snobbish or elitist uh, kind of approach, but uh, it was mainly uh, to put a different uh, way of looking at it. They were concerned about maintaining a major research university uh, as well as good teaching institution. Um, so despite that anxiety, uh, Governor Lucy went ahead and got established uh, and I think has done extremely well. I think that was a very good decision. You can imagine a lot of scenarios, particularly when budgets are tight, where if you didn't have the universities kind of working together that if they would work against one another, uh, we would have all come out of that uh, a lot worse than we really were. But and there were a number of other changes that we could talk about too that, uh, that Governor Lucy got established. He then got appointed by President Carter to be ambassador to Mexico and went down to Mexico and was an ambassador there. Uh, he and Carter then had a parting of the ways. Uh, he didn't think that Carter was a very capable president. Actually, uh, there were a lot of people who felt that at the time and continued to think that he was a, that he's been a better ex-president than president. Um, and, uh, and then in part because of his opposition to Carter, he ended up running uh, for vice president with John Anderson. They ran on a third party ticket and uh, did well, but obviously not well enough. And he, he was not naive, he was not dumb. He knew that that was a real long shot. It was possible kind of, possible more mathematically than politically. That is so fascinating to learn all about Pat Lucy and almost paying homage to uh, Bob LaFollette in running as a third party candidate in a presidential election. Right. Very interesting, very Wisconsin. But yeah, you know, with Wisconsin politics, which I want to talk about now, you have been an observer and a researcher in it for many years. And, you know, for a while now, Wisconsin has been considered a purple state, but statewide elections continue to be decided by razor thin margins. Is this still stunning to you that, you know, like we are years into a political transformation of Wisconsin, but things still haven't kind of shifted or sorted out. Is is that surprising to you in Wisconsin? Um, it's not surprising. Um, it's uh, regrettable because I wish everybody would agree with me. Then we wouldn't have the razor thin. Um, but um, that's not the case and probably won't be. Um, but it's not surprising. Wisconsin has been a very, very competitive state, um, very divided state, uh, really, um, since the beginning of the, the 20th century. Um, when Bob LaFollette uh, ran, uh, he won with a razor thin. Um, he uh, won by taking over the Republican Party, and he was always a Republican at the time. A lot of people forget that. But within the Republican Party, there were two divisions, and they would trade back and forth uh, because it was uh, really competitive. Um, the uh, um, Socialist Party in Milwaukee was very robust at the time. Uh, they uh, often would make a difference in terms of uh, affecting the outcome of statewide elections uh, and uh, in terms of um, sending people to uh, the U.S. Congress and to the state legislature. So we've had a very divided state um, in a way. I mean, it, the, there, one can misinterpret 
and say, well, Wisconsin was basically a one-party state, the Republican Party, um, for actually most of its existence. Um, but that would be misconstruing things because within the Republican Party, there were divisions. And uh, the, when the Progressive Party uh, got established, that was really one of the divisions, one of the factions um, kind of splintering off from the Republican Party. Uh, so we've always been very divided, um, but we've always been very civil. Um, and I think that's something that uh, we need to uh, keep in mind. And that's something that I really hope we don't get away from. Um, one of the things about Pat Lucy was that I, I mentioned all of the accomplishments that he made. Well, he made that with uh, Republicans in control of the state Senate and Democrats in control of the, of the assembly uh, as he began his uh, gubernatorial career. Uh, eventually the Democrats got control of the Senate too. But even then there were divisions within the Democratic party, divisions within the Republican party. And uh, people would uh, get into some really robust vociferous disagreements over public policy issues. Uh, but at the end of the day, they would, uh, well, it's Wisconsin, they'd go out and have a beer and some cheese curds together. Um, now, boy, there's, there's not a whole lot of that. Uh, you're gonna have your beer and cheese curds by yourself. Absolutely. It, um, I have a hard time foreseeing, you know, Robin Voss and Gordon Hintz going out and getting some beer and some cheese curds. <laughs> um, yeah, good point. Yeah. yeah, you wonder. Um, but one thing I'm really interested to hear, or uh, Tina, hear your take on is there has been a lot of resurgence, especially among young people um, and, you know, the left of the Democratic Party, resurgence in socialist, you know, extreme, you know, quote unquote, extreme left ideologies. And I want to know what kind of differences and similarities you see to um do you know when you were going off to college to for when people were thinking, oh, you're getting sent off to this huge liberal university, you're going to get you're going to get come back a communist? Well, one parallel is that uh, when people were saying back when I was leaving high school and coming to Madison, uh, oh, you're going to be a communist. And that was a nasty, nasty extremist kind of thing to say uh, they did. People had no idea what a communist really was and what that really meant. And the word socialist is being used in the same kind of way today. Um, and the word extreme is being used today. Uh, people really, that's a way of putting somebody into a particular category more than accurately describing something that has uh, some real meaning. Um, but I think that, to, I mean, I see uh, the, the young people today and particularly people who are uh, concerned about, uh, about racial justice, about uh, climate change, about equities in terms of uh, opportunities and, uh, and reducing the gaps uh, in income and the like. Uh, they get labeled as a socialist, but that's not very helpful if you're really trying to take a step back and say, well, who are these people and what does that mean and what, what are they really after? And I do see parallels between that and, I mean, wow, talk about um, people who were against the war in Vietnam. I mean, that was big and that was major. That really was. 
Uh, and uh, uh, so th this is not the first time that we've had people divided and with passion and, and with emotion. Um, I generally, uh, uh, my own perspective is that um, there's a lot of progress, progress that has been made in my lifetime that when I was an undergraduate at Wisconsin, I never, ever, ever would have dreamed would have been possible. Uh, and that ranges from racial issues. Um, you know, the, I was a student when the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr. and all of the violence in the South was happening, Wisconsin sending people. I went down to down South to demonstrate uh, that this, those were tense, tense times with a lot of uh, violence. Um, and uh, that, that kind of setting uh, then I talk about, I mean, racial justice issues are still key and important, but they're different, a different magnitude. And we've made, I, I would argue, we have made some progress, still a long ways to go. The same kind of thing with uh, gender issues, uh, women being very, very subservient. Um, there was a time when if you looked at want ads, um, it explicitly would say at the top of a column, women need not apply. Uh, just like blacks need not apply. Um, we're beyond that. We're beyond that. Um, the, the Me Too movement is an important movement. It's got substance. Uh, there's some real issues um, there. And even health. I mean, I remember growing up and boy, um, and even, you know, as a, not even a young adult, an older adult, um, smoking. Holy cow. Uh, people were smoking all over the place. They'd smoke in the classroom. You'd go into a classroom and there would be smoke. Uh, even if people were coughing and it was affecting their health, uh, it was no big deal. People were allowed to smoke. Uh, uh, the image of a college professor was to be at the front of the class smoking a pipe. Um, and now, I mean, just think of it. You, you, know, you can't do that. And it's socially not appropriate uh, for people to be smoking in most settings. Um, never would have believed that that would have happened. I'm hoping that the same kind of thing happens with uh, our approach towards pandemics, uh, that we don't politicize, that we recognize that there is something called public health, that you've gotta be careful, not only for your own health, but uh, about what you do that affects others. Man, I hope we can. I hope we can get there. <laughs> oh boy, I guess. As we're as we're wrapping up, because I, I want to be conscious of your time, and as we're wrapping up, we've been asking all of our guests on ten fifty. You know, obviously in these tumultuous times, what they are hopeful for in the coming months and years of American democracy. So, what are you looking at in American politics and policy, and what are you hopeful about in the next couple of years? Especially now that we're, you know, looking down the, the barrel of a Biden administration. Right, right. Well, the, uh, the one thing that makes me hopeful is that, indeed, we have had the rejection uh, by a large margin, with, if you look at the popular vote, um, of somebody who was clearly trying to divide us, clearly thought that that was a way of, of getting in power and staying in power was to divide us, particularly um, on, on racial issues. I found that appalling. And it, uh, I think a, a lesson from 
uh, the 2020 elections is that a lot of other people did too. This was an election in which Trump lost. It was not an election that Republicans lost. Republicans did very well in a lot of other races. Uh, and that includes uh, the state of Wisconsin and particularly our state Senate. Um, so the Republican party is alive and well, and that's fine. Uh, I think that that has to be respected. Uh, Democrats have to understand that. There are divisions in the Democratic Party. There's divisions in the Republican Party. And um, my hope for the future is that, number one, that those divisions lead us to be respectful of one another, lead us to have our deliberations, our debates in a civil way, uh, and, and treat us, treat each other uh, the way we would treat each other if we're there face to face. It's very unlikely that if we're face to face, we're going to, um, I mean, it, 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 that does happen where people get rude and violent, but that's unusual. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful for that. And frankly, I'm also uh, hopeful for uh, um, what the young people are bringing, um, the energy, the passion, their understanding. Uh, um, even though I've been away from the, the classroom now for about a decade, um, I have uh, grandchildren that uh, help me make linkages um, to that generation. Uh, and uh, I, I, I think that there is a bright future in the kind of progress that I mentioned that I've seen in my lifetime regarding smoking and racial justice and gender issues, uh, that that is firm, that's a basis on which we are going to continue to live together and, and, and thrive together. That is excellent advice and words to leave us off on. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you. For more information about 1050 Bascom, visit polisci.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. 1050 Bascom is edited by Adam Wigger and Sam Beisman, produced by Amy Gangle and recorded remotely for now.